efforts. We could not have done this without you. Only with you. Okay, it is now 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons. And once again, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned. Good afternoon and welcome to Driving Forces, a weekly show about politics and policy and an opportunity for you to tell us what's on your mind. As Reggie said, I'm Jeff Simmons and today my co-host Celeste Katz is off on some secret mission out west. All I will say is that she is out west and promises to fill us in next week when she returns. She's out there on behalf of Glamour Magazine covering politics, but that is all we can say at this time. Remember this hour, please call us at 347-335-0818. And as Reggie said a few minutes ago, it is Fall Fun Drive here at WBAI, so please pledge at 516-620-3602 or go online and pledge at give to that's the number two wbai.org also if you are not a bai buddy please become a bai buddy both celeste and i are it's you can give a recurring monthly donation of any amount and bai buddies get discounted perks at venues and services around town and online there's a lot of news going on this week even today obviously uh, we uh, There was a press conference just a short while ago with uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, the FBI, and the NYPD about the 10 suspicious packages. Uh, there was not much new that was revealed during the press conferences, but they were treating each one of these as suspicious explosive devices, uh, calling them potentially dangerous. And the mayor said that this was an act of terror. That is how he had described it and encouraged anyone with information to call the FBI tip line at one 800 Call FBI. Other breaking news this afternoon, uh, Caitlyn Jenner penned an op-ed rebuking Donald Trump, saying that supporting him was a mistake. That is one of the top trending topics right now. Uh, we started off this week uh, with the revelation first uh, detailed in the New York Times, if I'm correct, that uh, the Trump administration was considering scaling back on protections that were granted to the transgender uh, community during the Obama administration. Other big developments this week, uh, Megyn Kelly's remarks about blackface on air, and the latest in that is that she might not be returning to her show at this point. And also Donald Trump saying that he is considering preparing to order at least 800 U.S. Army troops to help secure the southern border to block immigrants from entering the United States. So there is a lot going on, and we encourage you to give us a call after our first guest uh, at 347-335-0818. So that's going to bring us to our first guest today. Our first guest today is community organizer and activist Jessica Ramos, who in the September 13th primary bested incumbent Democrat uh, Jose Peralta in the race for a Senate seat in District 13 that covers Elmhurst, East Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, Woodside, Astoria, and Corona in Queens. Jessica has been an, uh, one of a number of progressive candidates, in fact, who successfully challenged former members of the Breakaway Independent Democratic Conference. Uh, that included Peralta. 
Um, and she most recently served as director of Latino media for the city of New York. Today, she joins us to talk about the movement, but also the challenges that women in government and politics face and what will be on her agenda, her agenda if elected. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Thanks very much. So we started off the show by talking about uh, a few issues that have been breaking, including the press conference that was just held a short while ago by the mayor about the uh, suspicious explosive devices that were found. Uh, but what you know was really amazing to me was last night watching CNN for some time and seeing uh, a very uh, irate uh, Don Lemon uh, reacting to the pre uh, to President Trump's remarks. Uh, about the incident or the, the lack of, uh, of comments other than seeming to just stoke the fire somewhat. What's been your reaction to this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to state the obvious first and say that our, our, our current president is grossly inept and completely unqualified for the job and has no idea how to handle these type of situations. I mean, as New Yorkers, we know how to be resilient, how to uh, make sure that we're staying vigilant, but calm and keeping each other safe. Um, that's exactly what we've been doing um, and what we'll continue to do in the face of these terrorist threats. I mean, that's, that's really what I believe this is. I mean, it's, it's the idea that uh, right-wingers, Republicans uh, can intimidate us, uh, perhaps even uh, prevent us from going to the voting booth, um, but we won't let them scare us and we won't let them use uh, violence for, for political means in this way. And the other news that uh, has been, we've been following here at WBAI has been the uh, immigrant caravan. And Trump just only about uh, two, three hours ago had tweeted that to those in the caravan, turn around. We're not letting people into the United States illegally. Go back to your country. And if you want, apply for citizenship like millions of others are doing. What's your reaction to that? You know, historically, the United States has created... Um, economic turmoil in other countries that has resulted in immigration waves coming to our shores. And Central America is no exception. We know that we've supported, uh, not supported different regimes uh, in Central America. And unfortunately, now the situation is so dire for so many families that they really have nowhere else to go. Um, I think that we can learn to be a compassionate country, uh, figure out how it is that we could be most helpful. But first and foremost, what's most important is making sure that we are uh, being being useful and resourceful uh, to help these families thrive. So, Jessica, for our listeners, now I've, I've come to know you from the district, but for our listeners uh, who don't know who you are yet and what you stand for, can you give us a little uh, information on your background and what some of your key issues have been this campaign season? Yeah, sure. So um, I am born and raised in the district. I was born uh, in Elmhurst. I grew up in Astoria. Uh, when I came back from college, I lived in Corona and in East Elmhurst for a little bit. And today I live in Jackson Heights, where I am raising two children, two boys who are five and seven. Uh, so I've actually lived in nearly every single uh, neighborhood in, in this district. And to me, running for office and winning the Democratic primary was very much about taking back our streets. Um, you know, sort of an untold story about our race is that we actually didn't hire a political consultant to help us run it. 
what we did was hire people who live in the different neighborhoods that make up our district. And it made all the difference because no one knows our communities better than us. Um, I, like you said earlier in your introduction, spent uh, the last three years uh, as director of Latino media for the city of New York. Um, I was also communications advisor to the deputy mayor for strategic policy initiatives. Um, and before that, I spent a near decade in the labor movement at 32BJ, at um, Social Service Employees Union Local 371. I did uh, some projects with the Hotel Trades Council and the Building Trades Council. Um, and I've served on our community board. I'm a former district leader in the neighborhood. I've been active for a very long time. It's how I was raised. My parents, um, who are Colombian immigrants who arrived here to Jackson Heights about 40 years ago, uh, taught my sisters and I that, you know, uh, public service or community service was a must. Um, and I really, really found my vocation in, in it. And, and I have always believed in good government. I never thought that I'd run for office, but, but here I am. Um, and, and I couldn't be prouder of the campaign that we've run uh, because ultimately it was about uh, making sure that the issues that matter the most to my neighbors and me were, were being heard. And, and, and that's why we made our campaign platform all about um, you know, figuring out how we can fix the MTA, making sure that we're fully funding our public schools. Um, and now that rent regulations will expire in 2019, next year, that we are actively working towards uh, real rent reform that can keep New York affordable for working families. So in terms of you not thinking that you would ever run, I remember, uh, actually, I tried to get into that town hall that Jose Peralta had held in Jackson Heights uh, shortly after switching to the IDC. I couldn't get in. It was, as you know, it was madness outside. But I understand you were there as well. Uh, was that the moment uh, when you knew that you would run? I was there. I was uh, heavily disappointed um, in, in someone who I helped elect to the state Senate in 2010. Um, but I did not think right then and there that I would run. I, I, what I remember um, about my reaction during that town hall was much more, uh, I remember uh, that I shook my head the entire time um, just because of how disappointed and how betrayed I felt. But it took me a while. It took me months to come around to the idea uh, to the point where I, I was re really looking to see if there were other uh, possible candidates to do it. Um, but ultimately, it was a conversation with my mother, um, who, who, like I mentioned earlier, uh, is, is quite active in the community as well. And um, and she she planted the seed in, in my head um, and, and really made me think about you know, what I thought the next chapter for me was and, and whether and whether there was anybody who was going to run against him that could really uh, hold him accountable for his actions. Um, ultimately, I left City Hall and, you know, spoke to as many people as I could about the possibility and my viability um, as a candidate, um, knowing fully well working in government what it takes to run for office in terms of time commitment um, but also, you know, raising the right amount of funds. Um, and, and I couldn't be happier. I'm, I'm, I think I'm about to, uh, in January, embark on the most important journey in my life, but also the greatest responsibility I've ever had. I can't wait to fight for, for my neighbors. I, I mean, there's no corner of this planet that I love more than, than, than my corner, than my district. 
Um, and, and I'm really honored and can't wait to head to Albany come January. So your, your campaign had been centered around or is centered around the message of you as a quote unquote real Democrat. Uh, do you think that has been the key to success or do you think it's also riding the wave of the progressive movement right now? So, so both and more. Um, you know, we knew obviously how upset everyone was uh, with my future predecessor's decision to defect from the Democratic caucus and uh, go and power the Republicans. But the biggest problem with that was the fact that he was the only state senator who did it after Trump was inaugurated. And, you know, Jeff, you obviously, you know, you're you're my neighbor, so you know our district. But for, for listeners, you know, our district is not only the most diverse in New York, it's the most diverse in the country. Uh, we don't really have a Republican Party in, in the in the district. Um, and that's because we're unabashedly progressive. So there we have no business being represented by a Republican wannabe. And, and voters are really smart people, um, you know, and and I think that our while our message was around the IDC, it was also around speaking to a a sort of the internal struggle that the Democratic Party has been going through since the 2016 election um, in making sure that we are producing candidates and and making sure that that these candidates win who, you know, really have the people's best interests at heart, aren't taking money from the real estate lobby or the charter school lobby and things like that. So so I think people in general were tired of the status quo, or we're ready for change. We're ready to see more women elected. I'm only the fourth woman to be elected to the state Senate from Queens in the entire history of the state. I'm one of two women who will represent Queens in the state Senate. Um, and, and so we have a lot of work to do um, in that respect. And, and people are ready. People are engaged. People are pissed off because the federal government is so ineffective. Um, and we're going to take advantage of that in order to keep a, a an engaged electorate and do as best we can to change the political discourse, um, but also create an environment that's conducive to passing the progressive legislation we deserve. So you notice that uh, you noted that uh, people do, are sick of the status quo. Now, you had been endorsed by Cynthia Nixon, who challenged Governor Cuomo. And, uh, you know, it seems from all the polls that he's going to coast to victory. Do you feel, though, he has shifted towards the left as a result of the Nixon campaign? And where are you in agreement with him or disagreement? Well, that's an interesting question. Look, I mean, ultimately, I, I believe the governor is someone who is smart and acts based on, you know, what's in his best interest. Um, I think that he is a big symbol for transactional politics um, and uh, sort of has, which has contributed to Albany flying under the radar for a long time. I'm looking forward to working with him um, in in different ways. I think think that he and I agree that the MTA needs fixing. I don't know that we agree on the how. Um, I think that's true for for many different things that that we talked about before, Um, but we're going to do our best. Um, Ultimately, we're both Democrats, even if we're different types of Democrats. Um, But again, that's why it's my understanding that if we put in the work to create the right political environment, then we'll know that the governor will have, uh, you know, the impetus to do the right thing. 
During primary debate season, I, re I recall Tish James, the public advocate who's up for attorney, state attorney general, talking about the difficulties of fundraising as a woman and as an African-American woman. I'm curious what you see as the challenges that women face in running for office. Yeah, I mean, as a woman, um, as a young woman, as a brown woman, um, you know, people, people often... Uh, question your capabilities, your qualifications, your knowledge, your ability to bring people together, um, despite the fact that I've done it my entire life. It's, it's no coincidence that my opponents or my former opponents, uh, you know, biggest talking point about me was that I was, quote unquote, inexperienced. Meanwhile, I've been in public service um, for well over 10 years um, in different capacities. Um, so I know government, I know my community, um, and, and that's really the most important experience that a representative could have. Um, that's always very tough for women of color. Um, you know, I also, of course, had challenges as a mom um, and, and not seeing my children as often as I used to. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out that juggling act as we go. That's the campaign um, life. <laughs> I'm sorry? That's the campaign life. That's the campaign life. And look, uh, honestly, working at City Hall, which often were anywhere from 12 to 17 hour days, I, I, I learned I, I, I feel like it was a good a good training uh, for this. Um, and ultimately, you know, raising money is difficult within and of itself. But uh, but especially when, you know, you're relying on a grassroots fundraising method and, and your your job is really to rev up your base. Get as many people as possible to hold uh, to host uh, house parties, um, or you know that's how we, we our movement our movement really got started here. Um, we would call it lovingly leave no living room left behind, um, and uh, and and th and that was really the key to our success: a winning message and boots on the ground. So uh, I want to let our listeners know we're talking with uh, Jessica Ramos, candidate for state Senate in District 13 in Queens. I noticed online that tonight at six o'clock you are having your second neighborhood visioning session at the First Baptist Church at 100-10 Astoria Boulevard at six o'clock. What are some of the issues you expect uh, are going to be on the minds of voters tonight? You know, it's going to be very interesting because East Elmhurst is going through a lot. It's historically been a transportation desert, and yet, um, you know, the state government is prioritizing an air train in order mainly to service uh, visitors uh, coming, through coming through LaGuardia Airport. Um, you know, East Elmhurst uh, lacks a lot of access to medical care. There are uh, seniors who are struggling to keep their homes. Uh, it's a neighborhood that is of many one- or two-family homes. Um, so, so those are some of the issues that I expect to hear. Um, but um, ultimately, what we're doing is having visioning sessions in every single neighborhood in the district so that we can uh, collect opinions and collect some data on, um, on, on what our neighbors are thinking, because we believe that's the best way to inform our community action plan, um, which we'll announce as our legislative agenda at the beginning of the year. So, Jessica, we've got about a minute left. How can people learn more about you and your campaign, and where are we going to see you or hear from you in the next uh, week and a half until Election Day on November 6th? Sure. So everybody should visit uh, www.ramos, R-A-M-O-S, for statesenate.com. 
Um, we are always looking for volunteers in different capacities. We're still knocking on doors uh, right now and through November 6th. But, of course, you know, you can also help out with our visioning sessions and in many different capacities. Um, you can always uh, reach out to us uh, via social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, and we'll be sure to get back to you. Um, but uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing our neighbors out there in the trenches uh, fighting to make sure that, that we're, uh, you know, doing what's right by, by, our, by our neighborhood, which right now also means helping uh, flip some of the red districts to blue and ensure that we have a real Democratic majority that will allow for real legislation to get passed, not watered-down legislation that has hurt us so much in the past. Jessica Ramos, thank you so much for joining me on Driving Forces today. All right. Thank you for having me. I'll see you in the neighborhood. (laughs) All right. See you in the neighborhood. So uh, we are taking calls uh, before our next guest uh, at 5.30. Our next guest is going to be Betsy Gottbaum from C- the Executive Director of Citizens Union. If you'd like to give us a call and tell us what's on your mind, the number is 347-335-0818. Uh, and also, it is the uh, fall fund drive here at WBAI. So if you can call and pledge, call 516-620-3602 or or go online to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. So Reggie, I'm going to engage you for a moment here because there's a story that I just uh, had noticed that uh, Michael Evanati had said in an interview with Time Magazine that was just published today uh, that the Democratic Party's choice to take on President Trump in 2020 should be a white man. Quote, I think it better be a white male, he said. And this is causing uh, quite a bit of uh, controversy right now. And he's saying he, he wished it wasn't the case that white men, as he and Trump are, uh, are listened to more than people of other races and genders. But he believed that his identity was part of why he'd been able to defend uh, the adult film star uh, uh, and immigrant mothers. Your reaction, Reggie? <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's it's the silly season. It just gets weirder and weirder. And, you know, and the thing is, is that what this guy just said is playing into the hands of Trump. And the thing is, is that it, 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 I don't know what this whole thing about the resistance is all about. Now, I know it in theory, but the, but the actions of this whole thing really got me scratching my head big time. And... It seems like okay. It it it, it just seems like I, I just think I just find that silly. I just find that utterly silly. Uh, because what are you saying? Is that we need oh to 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 pit uh, to counter a person who is a misogynist, racist? Uh, we need to bring our own brand of white misogynist racist as well too i mean this is i mean if you're gonna bring if you're gonna turn back the clock well with that statement success <laughs> i'm sorry that's what it sounds like now, Avenatti is saying quote i was misquoted take it out of context but frankly that's what everyone says mm-hmm. uh you know I, mm-hmm. you know and just like Donald Trump is constantly saying I was taken out of context or misquoted, and, and I love reading the New York Times when they fact check him on almost everything he says, and will show what the real facts are. You know, I know his team will say it's alternative facts. Well, you know, here, here's something that 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 is could be considered something revolutionary. 
have some substance. You know, I mean, like there are people out there that is that is clamoring for for universal education and universal health care and um, and the police state not going back crap crazy and stuff like that. Why don't you advocate for those things rather than saying, well, we got our own type of crazy white guy. I mean, that it just makes no it, it, it's all part of this grand uh bastardized version of of reality television that we're living in we've been living in since the results of the re- of the election back in 2016 oh i feel like we were living in it before the results. that is true i agree you know it's as a former reporter i mean i i was just astounded at how well as a former reporter, I'm recently incredibly upset and astounded about all of his attacks on the media. Mm-hmm. And even the uh, the comments last night after the bomb threats were, you know, a detail that he could not even acknowledge CNN, that he could not acknowledge the former presidents, you know, who experienced this. You know, it just feels so divisive and not unifying. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, Look, I, I got my issues with all presidents, pretty much, but but it, it's just seemed like the 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 even on the surface level, you can't even play nice on the surface level. It just seems like there is it, 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 the one thing I will give Trump for, uh, give credit to, is is that whatever illusions that were created that might have been perceived. They don't exist. He goes out there. He is what he is. He doesn't pretend to be anything else but that. And be it good, partly, be it bad, mostly, it is what it is, unfortunately. So that's what I find something fascinating about the whole aspects of what this whole thing and what you have just mentioned. And it seemed like they'll continue on to play in the game they was trying to go tit for tat and rather than just try a brand new game for lack of a better term another form of strategy but they want to counter the crazy with another crazy so you are listening to driving forces uh i'm jeff simmons uh this is wbai 99.5 fm and streaming live at wbai Org. If you'd like to give us a call, our number is 347-335-0818. And in just a few minutes, we are going to bring up our second guest. That will be Betsy Gottbaum, the executive director of the Good Government Group, Citizens Union. And um, also, just to add on to something what you said, since you being a new, relatively new show, Driving Forces, if you appreciate what Driving Forces has been doing ever since its inception a couple of weeks ago, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station right now by calling 516-620-3602. I'm, uh, Jeff, I really do appreciate the fact that you make serious efforts in um, really approaching things the political world in a such of a local aspect to it because yeah we 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 get crazy about the federal elections and stuff but real change doesn't happen until until you focus on the local stuff i agree that's why i was glad to have jessica ramos on because i see what she's doing in the community 
uh, you know, I've worked on campaigns before. You know, it's interesting when you're a reporter on one side and you're covering campaigns and you don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes. And then working on the other side on campaigns and in government, you see I met a number of idealistic people. I've watched people also get kind of burned out handling you know, campaigns. But on a very grassroots level, it is amazing what people what people need and what they want and they want to be heard. Mm. And, you know, that's one of the things I liked about being a reporter when I could help someone with just a very basic neighborhood issue that they were experiencing. At New York One, I was able to do some of that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I've crossed paths with a number of politicians, you know, who, you know, talk the talk, who don't necessarily <laughs> walk the walk. And I've watched those who, you know, really uh, who will call and follow up with the people that they meet on the street uh, to try to address their issues, you know, and that's on a very granular level. Uh, that's, you know, the work that I've seen a number of New York City Council members doing uh, in, in their areas. Again, our number here is 347-335-0818. And we're going to get on the phone in just a few moments. Our next guest, Betsy Gottbaum. And we'll be able to talk to her about the uh, November 6th election and uh, several of the ballot initiatives uh, that are going to be facing voters, uh, including one that is, uh, well, several of them are, are, there's three key ones, but several of them are uh, causing some fierce opposition. But one that I know she is definitely going to weigh in on uh, will be term limits for community board members. And if you're going to get a chance to give us a call today, I really would love to hear from a community board member or two or people who want to a seat on a community board but have not had that opportunity uh, because I want to know what your view is, whether you feel it should be unlimited, whether it should be uh, one or two terms, what value you feel there is to members having uh, you know, no uh, time uh, constraint that they can continue on uh, with community boards. I'd served on uh, one community board in Queens for several years and dealt with a number of land use issues, liquor license issues, hearing constituent complaints. So, you know, uh, I, there was a mix of people. I was a relatively uh, young and new member there, uh, but there was a mix with a number of people who'd been on for quite some time. So we are now gonna bring up our next guest. Our next guest is Betsy Gottbaum. She's the executive director of the Good Government Group Citizens Union. And she stepped into this role earlier this year and she has been a longtime champion of good government. And you may know her from some of her previous roles as New York City's public advocate or from her appointments with mayors John Lindsay, A. Beam, and Dave Dinkins. If you don't know about Citizens Union, it's committed to reforming New York City and New York State governments and promoting transparency, accessibility, and high ethical standards. And it's been in existence for more than a century, 120 years. Uh, most recently, the organization announced the candidates that it prefers in the November 6th general election. And so we invited Betsy on the show to talk about that, the ballot initiatives before voters, and also the challenges that women in government face. Welcome to the show, Betsy. Hi. Um, thank you. Very nice to be on your show. It's great to have you. So, first of all, talk a little about well, I, uh, news of the day. I should really start with uh, the bomb threat uh, and Trump's reaction to this, because uh, I was watching CN uh, religiously last night and uh, uh, we had some very fired up reporters. Uh, your reaction mm -hmm. to the way Donald Trump responded to this? Well, I think, first of all, I don't understand why he couldn't at least have called some of the people who got the bomb threats 
or got the bombs placed in their residences and said, gee, this is really bad. I feel terrible about it. Um, obviously, he doesn't feel terrible about it. And the vitriol and the anger that he has expressed himself towards the press um, you know, and, and towards these people, I mean, lock her up and all of those things are just, I'm sorry, they just are not what we are about. And it's, and, and it gets, it, it is inciting all of these terrible actions on the parts of people that, that, uh, who knows who they are. I mean, I don't know who they are, but I've got to tell you, I'm, I was really upset at his reaction. Um, it, and he mocked, he really sort of mocked the whole thing at the, at the rally in, in, in Wisconsin that I watched. I couldn't watch it after a while. I think it's just so upsetting. So, uh, talking a little about the, uh, midterm elections today, uh, you also, you've, uh, been in the process of, uh, I don't want to say endorsing, but uh, identifying the candidates that are preferred. Can you kind of walk our listeners through what? Sure, I, I think it's a, a really interesting um, thing. Is the wrong word, but that that Citizens Union does, and I urge anybody who's interested. We have a candidates, a local candidates committee, and these are people who are members of Citizens Union. They pay thirty dollars to be members, and they interview to be on the committee to interview candidates, and they interview candidates for a long time. They spend a lot of time and a lot of very thoughtful time. These are regular people. These are not people who, you know, we, we select. These are people who come in and who are interested in doing this, and they go through a process. They go through an interview process, and then they, they interview the candidates, and they vote on who they want, and then they present those candidates that they prefer to the board and the board our, our entire board elects them. It's a very interesting process. I mean, I, I don't have a vote, but I, I, I listen. I try to listen, sit in the room when they do the interviews, and it's fascinating. And any people who are interested in local government, in the uh, city council races that will, <laughs> that will be coming up in 2020 and 2021, and all the other races that will be coming up, I, I, I think it's a wonderful, uh, it's really a wonderful uh, experiment that, that Citizens Union has been doing for years. And so you recently announced uh, the candidate endorsements in the contested races for governor, attorney general, controller, state senate. Can you mm -hmm. walk our listeners through them? Sorry, I, I oh, couldn't. can you walk our listeners through? Uh, for instance, you uh, each supported, one. Uh, well, you supported Andrew Cuomo. Uh, was there reluctance we on this? Were there issues you agreed or disagreed with him on? Well, the, the issue with Andrew Cuomo was that that, that he when he was interviewed by the committee, and he did it by phone, um, we were on the phone with him, and I was on the phone call for an hour, and he made promises of things that he would do um, if he is reelected um, that are very much part of Citizens Union's uh, policy, the things that we endorse that we want. And I have a list of them, and they, they, a lot of them have to do with election reform. New York State is way behind most other states in, in, in how we elect our representatives and our governors. We have several primaries. We have a federal primary and a state and city primary. This is ridiculous. It should all be together. We should have early voting. We should have same-day registration. Um, all of those things the governor said he would do, and he would work on getting them accomplished with the legislature if he's reelected. I will hold his feet to the fire.
So there was a wonderful editorial in the New York Times about a week or so ago about, you know, the headline had been time to close the democracy gap. And it talked about uh, other states like Minnesota and Idaho that allow citizens to register right up until the election. Why do you think New York State has not done something like this? You know, I honestly, I I cannot answer that question. I don't know. I've, I've heard that it's because the state legislature has just not been in favor of making it easier for people to vote. I don't want to say that it's because of one party or the other. I just can tell you that the results have been outrageous in a state like New York, and I'm hoping that we can all the more I can say this to the public, put pressure on your local officials, your state representatives and the governor, that we change New York's voting laws and that we make it easy for people to vote, that we make it we make voting much more accessible than it is now. It's so important. And people just don't understand how important it really is. So there are three proposals on the back of the ballot. Uh, It's interesting, back of the ballot, because I'm always, I'm a prime voter. I know always to check that back of the ballot because I might not be informed about something. And I have, I I spend a good amount of time in the voting booth if I have not heard about something, really reading this. So talk a little about the three proposals and where Citizens Union stands. Right. Well, first of all, I urge everybody to turn their ballot over and to read the three proposals. Proposals and the, the the proposals are very um, they're they're very well described in the, on the ballot. Citizens Union has um, has endorsed one of the proposals completely, which is that we we truly believe there should be term limits for for people who are on community boards, uh, and 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 that's because many of the areas where community boards exist, have changing demographics. And so you want to have new people coming in and new people representing those communities. So that, that's, that I think that's ballot number three. That's proposal number three. Correct, yeah. um, proposal number one, num- number two is the one where we did not take a position because while we are totally in favor of campaign finance and we think that campaign finance rules in New York City are the best practically the best in the country, we are not convinced that changing the, the match from 6 to 1 to 8 to 1 should be done for the city council candidates, for city council candidates and the borough presidents. We are in favor of the 8 to 1 match for the citywide electeds in New York City. And there are a lot of reasons why we aren't for that, um, but but... I also, I'm personally thinking that perhaps people would resent the fact that the match went up to eight to one from six to one for all the city council because in 2021 the city council is going to completely flip, and we're talking about an awful lot of money. So that's one of the reasons we 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 have not made a decision on on that proposition. Um, and the other proposition, oh, I've just gone out of my head. What's Jeff? Do you know what the other proposition Number is? Three. Let's see. Uh... Creation of a Civic Engagement Commission. Oh, yes. Creation of a Civic Engagement Commission. Um, The reason we are against that is because in in what's proposed, that commission is controlled by the mayor. And we think that any commission of that nature, of civic engagement, should be an independent um, commission. It should be absolutely independent of any particular political um, a politician or elected official. So that's why we were against the the the, 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 the I guess it's called the Civic Engagement Civic Engagement Commission. Sorry, um, but 
you know, I think people should, the main thing we want people to do is to turn over the ballot and, and, and look at those uh, recommendations, look at those um, issues, and, and vote on them, and vote what, what they think is right or wrong. And they can call us, or they can look at, at the Citizens Union website, which is going to be going up new in the next couple of weeks. Um, but they could call us, and we can explain if they need any explanations. And that website is citizensunion.org. Yep, you've got it. So were there specific issues that you felt the Charter Review Commission should have focused on and and put on the ballot this year or that they should be focused on for next year? Yeah, I, I do, and I'm, I'm hoping that the city council is having its own charter commission um, next year, and I'm hoping that they will take up uh, one of the issues that's very dear to my heart, which is I do believe that that the public advocate, the office of the public advocate, should have a set budget. It, it, it should not be – the budget should not be at the whim of the mayor or of the, of the city council uh, uh, leader. I, I just believe that the, the, the public advocate's position is a very important position in the city. It's the ombudsman. For the city, it's it's where people can turn when they have no place else to go. I didn't see it as a stepping stone. It just happened to have been that that way to to higher office. But I really felt that it was important to be there to to help people that had no place else to turn. Therefore, it should have a set budget. It should not be at the whim of the mayor or the city council um, speaker. And I, I don't know what the exact amount should be. I always recommended five, about $5 million. I thought that was, that, that was a good number based on my knowledge. Uh, but I do believe, I believe that's such an important issue, and I wish it were on this charter commission, but maybe it will be on the city council's. So uh, you recently had a guest editorial, guest column in Newsday and AM New York, and in that you had said New York has some of the most backward voting laws in the nation. I mean, we talked a little about one of the items, but are there other things that you think need to be changed to increase voter registration and engagement? Well, I certainly think same-day registration. I I certainly think, um, you know, not having several primaries on different days totally confusing to people, and that's why you have such a low turnout. I, I think that um, you should have much greater accessibility for, for voters to be able to, to register and to vote. I mean, it's to me, it's just, uh, I think ranked voting it, it is very important, too. Uh, but that, to me, isn't quite as important as, as really same-day registration, uh, early voting. I would like um, mail, mail-in voting, because in the states where they have it, it's very effective, and you get large turnouts. Um, we have not sort of we haven't really written about that as much as as, as I would like. We will do that, I hope. Um, but it's it's as simple as all that: same day registration, early voting. Uh, you know, one primary, not one federal primary, one state primary. That doesn't make any sense. The so one that th- I, those are things that are very very important. The one, the one that I had really liked that the Times had pointed out. They called it the gold standard was automatic voter registration. So when yeah. you go to the DMV, you're automatically registered yeah, as you an go. eligible citizen. And any place you go, any state. You're right, Jeff. At any state uh, facility that you go to, the Department of Motor Vehicles, the Department of Buildings in the city, any state or city agency that you go, you'll be able to register to vote. So what do you think? We're, you know, less than two weeks away. What do you think is going to drive voters to the polls on November 6th? What, you know, will this be about supporting more progressive candidates? Will it be a testament on Trump here in New York City? What do you think is going to bring people out to the polls? 
I, I happen to think in New York that that it will what will bring people out to the polls is the total anger and disgust at at what's going on in the federal government. And I, I don't even want to mention names, but I just want to say I think that you saw in the primary there were, there were a lot more people voting in the primary than had voted before in the in in the in earlier elections. So I, I think what's going on in Washington, the the divisive uh, atmosphere, the the the, the vitriol, the anger, the mockery, the making fun of people, the way women are denigrated. And t- I think that's going to drive people to the polls. And I think you're going to be very surprised, especially in New York State, ha- about what you're going to see and how many people will vote. So last week, my co-host, who uh, Celeste Katz, who you know, who's off at some secret you know, mission for Glamour magazine, but she and I had <laughs> David Patterson on last week, and we'd asked him about the rumors about him considering a run for public advocate. We thought we'd just get an yeah. answer, yes or no. But instead, he basically said uh, on WBAI, he said that basically whoever runs for public advocate is only after that job because they're waiting for the mayor to be indicted so they can step in as mayor. Oh, David. Your reaction. <laughs> My reaction to that is I love David Patterson. He's he's very funny and one of the brightest people I know, but he's wrong. That's not why the public advocate's position is important. It is very important because it is, by the charter, the ombudsman of the city of New York. And that means when when – People have a problem that they, they can't get anybody to solve. They call the public advocate's office. And sometimes you would find that there were pockets of problems in all boroughs. And that would mean that you had a really big problem. The water, the, the, I always said, cited the water prices going up in Queens and in Brooklyn. And you saw that there was a pattern of prices being increased completely unfairly for people um, in, in those boroughs. And we were able to force the city into changing the way they they build the water the you know the the way they sent the water bills and it was very very important it's very important to to be there for people to know that 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 you have somebody there that can really help you 311 is a wonderful system but it's a referral system the public advocate can really and if it ever had a set budget it could really do a lot for people and to me that's the most important thing that government can be there for to help people help people that have no place else to turn. You know, and there have been, I've seen this, you know, I've seen your work because I had worked for Bill Thompson at the time and you and he had worked together on a number of initiatives, but there are, you know, media outlets that I recall editorialized that the office was useless, that it didn't do much. But what would you say your legacy is from your time during the, uh, as public advocate? I would say my legacy is really responding to issues that I, th- that I thought or that the office thought were crucial. And I will give you the one, one thing that stands out in my head. There was a time when the chancellor at the Department of Education changed the bus routes in the middle of February. This is just an example of the kind I of thing the public this. advocate can do. And our office got calls like at 6 o'clock in the evening, people saying, where's my child? They changed the bus routes without ever doing a pilot project. You know, we have very different... Of demographics in this city. We have very rural parts of the city in Staten Island and parts of Queens, and, and actually in Brooklyn, too. Um, we also have very urban parts, and school buses, changing the school bus routes it, it, like that without any notification, without giving people a chance to understand how they were changing the routes, was a nightmare. People were calling, where's my child? My child is left standing in the freezing cold. We were able, as a result, 
of getting these calls to make the Department of Education change that ridiculous program. To me, that was a very, very important thing that we were able to do. I think we helped people. I think we got parents uh, they, we got them their children back, um, and to me, it was really it, w- it was just one of the one of the many things I think we were able to do. So we've got just a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. What what are the post midterms, post elections? What are some of the issues that Citizens Union is going to be uh, exploring and focused on uh, at the end of two thousand eighteen and through two thousand nineteen? Well, our big project is going to be um, we're going to take a look at at why it is that so many young people have not been voting. And is it because of the civic education that we don't give them? Is, is it that there, that there is not the, the right kind of civic education being given to kids in the schools, in the colleges? We're going to take a, long, a very good look at that. We're going to work with, with Generation Citizen, which is an organization that does a lot of civic education um, in, in, in schools, in about 65 schools. We're going to look at those those uh, particular places that have those programs, and we're going to do an evaluation of them, and then we're going to come up with some suggestions on how to make them better. But we're really going to be looking at how do we get people to be interested and understand how important it is to be engaged civically, and how do we get kids, how do we get them involved. Uh, I think they will be involved now because I think they're really upset and angry about the things I said before. They're angry about the attitude, the denigration of women. I think people are very upset, and that's going to get them out to vote. But we should get them out to vote because they know it's so important in in our democracy to do that. And we're going to look at that, and then we're going to hope very much to convince every New Yorker, and every time I'm going to become the broken record, we have got to, in 2020, get everybody to to sign up for the census, to answer the census, to take the census forms, to fill them out. It's essential. And we're going to work with the city on that and all the private philanthropies which are helping. It's going to be a very big project of, of Citizens Union. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to get to that, that that seems to be just percolating right now. And I'm expecting yeah. once we get past the, uh, the midterms that we're going to see a much stronger focus on that. Absolutely. And the city is doing, the city has got some very good ideas and we're going to be working with them. We've got a lot of, there are a lot of philanthropies that have put together, you know, a a large pots of money to work on this and to help the city make sure that people in New York City and New York State, I'm not, I don't mean to cut New York State out, but we really want to make sure that people understand they have to sign up for the census because not only does it determine who our representatives will be, who our congresspeople will be, but it also helps decide what kind of aid we -hmm. get in the city, aid like food stamps, Medicaid, all the infrastructure projects. If, If people, if we don't have everybody sign up for the census that can, we will lose we will lose a lot, and I, we just have to go around and, and do everything we can to get people to understand there's no problem with signing up. They won't be deported. Uh, you know, that, we, is, that is honestly what I have been thinking of that, you know, amid this climate right now of fear that many people might fear that they just want to stay in the background. They do not want, you know, to be listed anywhere. Well, we're going to come up with a plan to tell everybody, we will protect you. We will protect you. Just please sign the census. Please 
inside the census form. I mean, we have to we have to come up with a lot of clever programs to ensure people that, that they will be safe, and and, I, and and that is a very big project for us. So I want to remind our listeners that if you want to learn more about Citizens Union and also see which candidates they have supported, you go to citizensunion.org. Betsy Gottbaum, thank you so much for joining me today on Driving Forces. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all. And please, everybody, vote on November 6th. uh, 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. Right. Exactly. Betsy, thanks so much. Thanks a lot. So for our listeners, my co-host Celeste Katz will be back here next week. She will fill us in on whatever she has been up to out west because I am extremely curious what that is. Uh, She's on assignment for Glamour Magazine. Driving Forces is coming to a close. I'd like to thank our guests, Jessica Ramos and Betsy Gottbaum and our engineer Reggie. And thank you again, the listeners. Remember, it is the fall fun drive here at WBAI. So please become a BAI buddy and please pledge at 516-620-3602 or go online and the website address is give to, that's the number two, WBAI bai.org. Again, a BAI, BAI buddy, if you decide to do it, is someone who signs up to make a recurring monthly donation to WBAI. It can be any amount, and it means a great deal to keeping our unique and high-quality programming on the air. If you missed any part of the show or just want to listen in again, the MP3 download is available at WBAI.org. Click on Archives and then on Driving Forces. And you can also look for our Driving Forces segments on SoundCloud and check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening today and have a great day. You want funny? <laughs> WBAI's comedy show will bring you funny. As a matter of fact, you will die laughing. <laughs> Wednesday, October 31st, Halloween, at 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue. Be there for fun, laughter, spooky surprises, yes. Admission, $13.00. You get $3 back towards Witch's Brew at the Commons. 
Jess, you will laugh till you die. <laughs> WBAI's Halloween Benefit Comedy Show, Wednesday, October 31st at 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons. Become a BAI buddy at the door and get free admission. For more information, go to Too Raw for Radio. That's the number four on Facebook. Hi, this is Nando Alvarici of Consabor Latino here on WBAI in New York 99.5 FM. Please join us Sunday, November 18th at SOB's for WBAI's annual Salsa Explosion fundraiser. Performing in our benefit fundraiser are world-class musicians such as Johnny Dandy Rodriguez and his dream team, Bobby Allende and Ocho y Mas, Charanga Pacha, Anthony Carrillo, Amy Millan, and Jambawa, Lucito Quintero, Robert Quintero, and Salsa Project. We will also present Consabor Latino Lifetime Achievement Awards to Martin Cohen, Ray Santos, Jose Mangual Sr., and Johnny Dandy Rodriguez. Again, this is all happening Sunday, November 18th from 3 to 9 p.m. at SOB's, 204 Barrick Street. For more information, 212-243-4940. The WBAI Community Advisory Board wants to hear from you what you think about the current state of programming at WBAI. Please tell us what you like, what you do not like, and more importantly, what do you think we need to do? Any suggestions are welcome. Please send your comments to the WBAI Community Advisory Board, WBAI Radio 388, Atlantic Avenue, 3rd Floor, Brooklyn, New York. The zip code is 11217. Again, send your comments to the WBAI Community Advisory Board, 388 Atlantic Avenue, 3rd Floor, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. Thanks for your ideas and invaluable support. And... This is WBAI and end. <laughs> this is WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. And the previous program was Driving Forces, uh, which was a cult, which is hosted by Jeff Simmons. And uh, Celeste Katz, Celeste Katz was, was away on assignment and she will be back here next week. Now. Uh, the reason why I'm on mic right now is just to appeal to the listening audience once again that WBAI is in its fun drive for fall 2018, trying to raise some funds to make sure that WBAI continues to provide you programs like Driving Forces. As I said before um, during that program, it's like I really do appreciate and commend on the in-depth stories that are happening within uh, the local aspects of uh, social, in the social world, uh, be it uh, local, state, regional. And if you appreciate uh, stories that, are, that affects you more than the federal stuff, 
uh, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602, or go to give2wbai.org online. Give to the number two, give2wbai.org online as we are in fundraising mode and we are about to go into the next program, which is the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo. Uh, while that show is on air, please consider becoming a financial supporter and pledge in the name of the WBAI Evening News, as well as pledge in the name of Driving Forces, the show that was on before. But however you do it, we appreciate your efforts in advance. It's now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI.